Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. A listener production. Hey, I'm pro surfer and mental health advocate, Kubi Chapman, and this is Good Humans. In this episode, I chat to Italian pro surfer, Leonardo Fioravanti. I'm so impressed with how Leonardo has made it to the surfing top stage after growing up in a country that has very few places to surf. So he found some really inventive ways to catch a wave that wasn't even in the ocean. And Leonardo had to build his mental resilience the hard way after two dislocated shoulders and a broken back from the notorious pipeline wave in Leonardo Firavanti, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Coops. Thanks for uh, letting me have a chat. Pretty excited. First ever surfer from Italy to qualify for the world tour. Talk to me about what it was like growing up in Italy. So, yeah, um, growing up in Italy, um, as you can imagine, nothing to do with surfing. So I'm from Rome. Um, I was born in Rome and I uh, grew up right outside Rome in a little town called Cerveteri which is kind of by the sea. Uh, I started surfing when I was about six years old um, at the beach club where my parents used to go to. And the beach club that my parents used to go to uh, was called Ocean Surf. So the owners were surfers, which is quite random because it's not that many surfers. But um, that area is quite of a windsurf kind of life. And I just started surfing there um, with my brother who's older, all his friends. And, you know, Italy, as you said, is the Mediterranean. There's not much waves. You know, in the year, you definitely don't surf every day. In wintertime, you can maybe surf a couple times a week. Um, and then it goes, you know, there's flat spells for a couple months. Um, maybe you get lucky for a month straight. You might get waves if you really get lucky. It's funny, you know, in summer, you don't get as many waves. But this is a really um, a story that not many people, like, believe me, but it's fully true. Not that they don't believe me, but they think it's crazy. In summertime, in the afternoon, um, there was a ferry who would make a um, movement to go into the harbor at a certain time, exactly a certain time, it was either 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. It would create two waves. Um, so we'd all go down, like probably 10 of us, and we'd all just catch these two waves that the ferry made on a flat day. And you know, it's only two waves, it's 10 of us dropping on each other, but it was definitely the most exciting time of the day. So we'd all just walk down the beach because the wave, exactly where the wave broke was a, a bit further down the beach. And that's pretty much what our summer was, you know, just hang at the beach, skimboard, hang, and then um, 4 p.m., let's all run down with our boards and catch one, one or two waves. And yeah, that was my uh, childhood. Um, of course, I played soccer because that's everything you do in Italy. I, in the wintertime, I skied and snowboarded so much. Every every weekend we go up into this uh, into the the snow, which was only an hour and a half away, and yeah, and then 
started getting out of Italy because, you know, it's the Mediterranean. When I started loving surfing so much, I wanted to keep surfing a little more. So any holiday, I'd be like, mom, dad, bro, can you please take, let's, let's go surf somewhere, please. And that's how we kind of started traveling a little bit. I guess a lot of people who grow up in the European surf sort of scene, France is kind of the mecca for it. How old were you when you kind of started going to France a lot? And then did you end up basing yourself there? I totally uh, ended up basing myself there and I'm still uh, quite based, but we'll get back to that. The first time I went to France, I was actually six years old, uh, seven years old. So it was not long after I started surfing. We had a family friend who lived in Anglet, which is just south of Hossegor. And he's like, why don't you guys come, me and my brother and my family. We went over there and um, he was actually a shaper uh, who started shaping my first boards. And we went there for a week, loved it. The following year, I was eight years old, so I was getting to the surfing a little little bit more. But France is fully the center of European surfing. It's where all the surfing industry is based in Europe. Um, It's, you know, the most high performance between France and Portugal, that's where... You know, that's where the high performance of Europe comes out of. And as much as I love Italy, because I still love Italy, for me to become a professional surfer or even give it a go or, you know, at the start when I was that young, it wasn't, I just wanted to surf, but you have to move out of Italy unless you have a wave pool, but still, you know, (laughs) you have to move out of Italy because you don't get to surf every day. And so I started, you know, at the age of nine, I got picked up by Quicksilver in France which is actually by Belly, which is my stepfather today, which is crazy to think. But yeah, I started going to France and you go to France because that's, that's the spot to go. At first I was going only, you know, during the summer for three months and then maybe uh, Easter holidays or maybe a couple of weeks in September if school would let me go. And then by the age of 11, 12, we started going there quite more often. Um, I started doing some sort of online schooling where I could study online with some teachers on Skype so that I could be able to spend more time in France, which wasn't so far from Italy and, and all of that. I want to go a little bit down this path of schooling. How important was it for your family to make sure that you still had some sort of schooling, even though you were destined to be a pro surfer from a young age? Schooling was always a big talk because, okay, how, is, how am I going to get my education? Because for my mom, it's important and it is so important. And so we found a way to study with teachers on Skype. Um, basically, I would do my history class, my math class, my you know on Skype with a teacher, and three probably three to four hours a day, and then for the rest of the day I could surf wherever I was. So, um, of course, it's time difference. A lot of the times I'd be starting at eight p.m. at night, or sometimes it'd be six p.m. six a.m. in the morning. But of course, you know I learned to make those sacrifices at a really young age. And then um, what was really cool because, you know, I, I stopped going to school every day at the age probably of uh, 12 and like going to school every day, sitting in a classroom. And my mom, you know, she didn't want me to feel like or maybe grow up being left out from other kids. So we had an idea to go to, um, to spend six months in California. And I actually went to Dwyer Middle School for five months in Huntington Beach. So that was a really cool experience, especially because my English wasn't that good. And the way I wrote English, you know, wasn't as good. You know, now I can write perfect English. I can read books in English. And so that was really cool to be able to spend time with kids in school like a normal human. Um, In the morning, like a normal kid in the morning, I would go to a surf class and 
finish school at two o'clock and then I could surf every day. You know, in Italy, you don't get to that because you don't have waves. But when I was in California, that was a really cool experience, which made my English really good. It made me spend time, you know, with other kids in school. And now I have uh, kids, I have friends from California that I always remember. And while doing my Italian school, you know, so I would do this Italian school, but I would still go to school in California. So I did two schools on, the, on that same year. And that was when I was 13 years old. And when I was four, uh, 14, 15, I did the same exact thing at um, PBC, Palm Beach Carambin, in, um, in, uh, on the Gold Coast. And that was a bit different. That was high school, but it was still, you know, going to school. The surf, surf class was integrated in the, in the school, which was incredible. It was, you know, one hour a day, we'd just walk across the street and go surfing. So, you know, to cut it short, schooling was uh, always very important for my family. And I think the main thing about education a lot of the times is your family. When you have a great family that's behind you, that makes sure that you're a good kid, that you're respectful, humble, um, you don't get caught up in things, you know, the life we live, uh, it's not a normal life. You know, the, the life we, we grow up in as a professional surfer, it's not normal. I mean, you're 15, 16 years old getting paid this money to travel the world and you see so many kids get caught up in so many bad things, whether it's partying, whether it's a lot of the times drugs. But having my family behind me that always um, made sure that, you know, I, I stayed humble. I kept my feet on the ground and they always remind me, look, you're, you're, you know, you're doing this for a reason. You're making these sacrifices for a reason. You, you left your home. You left your family for a reason because you want to become one of the best surfers in the world. And that's what... I always told myself I had one one goal that, you know, drove myself uh, only one direction. And sacrifices were made, of course. You know, I didn't get to see my dad because my dad didn't really travel with me. Every athlete in the world, every person in the world have to, have to make sacrifices to achieve whatever they want. And I'm so happy that my family was behind me and they pushed me to do that because I wouldn't be there without them for sure. I think the university of life, I call it, Getting to travel the world and experience cultures is, I believe, just as important as going to school. I mean, I'm a firm believer in the education system, but I think being able to communicate with people is something that is missed so much in schools. Kids communicate with kids, but a lot of the time kids are quite rude to teachers and don't know how to communicate with adults. And we're lucky enough that we have to check in at airports. We have to be around adults all the time. And I feel like it's so important. And I mean, mate, you've... You know five languages. I can almost guarantee there's probably 99.99% of people in the world don't know more than one, two languages. So props to you on that. With, with your upbringing, I know Kelly Slater, for everyone listening, best surfer of all time, has been a big influence in your life. What's your relationship like with him and how did that come about? Yeah, it's really cool. I got to uh, get pretty close to Kelly. Um, basically, my stepfather, who I talked about before, is Stephen Bell. Stephen Bell is the Quicksilver Global Team Manager for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Stephen is known as Belly. So he was um, Kelly's right arm for uh, whenever Kelly was on Quicksilver. Uh, Belly probably won seven world titles with Kelly. So, um, you know, Kelly never had a coach, but if anyone got as close to being a coach, that's Belly. You know, that's, that's Belly. Belly was always there for him. And of course, when, uh, when Kelly left Quicksilver, Belly still, you know, took care of him, did so much for him. And um, growing up, you know, I was a pretty good young surfer with Kanoe Garashi as well. Belly took us around the world to a few of the stops. 
And so we got to stay with Kelly a lot of the times. Um, Kelly and Jeremy, Dane Reynolds too. And just absorbing, you know, observing Kelly when, you know, he was going for his world titles. And, you know, I was 12 years old, staying in the house with him, sleeping on a on the couch. But still, you know, I got to see pretty much his every move inside and outside the house. That was incredible. That was the bit, one of the biggest learning curves in my career. He, he, he has a lot of knowledge. He has so much knowledge. You know, he's, he's been around for so many years. And uh, not only in the surfing world, he has so much knowledge and everything. So whenever I'm around him, I try and just learn of what his um, diet is, what he's, you know, what his, uh, what his preparation is. And um, especially in the competitive side, you know, always observing, you know, being next to him, just seeing how, how clutch he is. How last minute, you know, he's always, he's an ice, you know, he's, he doesn't break, he's, he's, in, he's incredible. And I've learned so much from that. And I mean, knowledge, you know, you pick it up from so many different people. And yes, I picked up this from Kelly, but I picked up that from Bailey, picked up this from my family. I picked up that from my coaches and everybody's their own person. And you create as your own athlete, you create as your own person. And I think each, 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 Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Uh, individual has a bit of something in each, in every aspect. Having that growth mindset and having that awareness that it's fine to get knowledge from anywhere and to almost be diligently looking for knowledge from everywhere. It sounds like you're extremely goal-driven and career-driven and you know what you want, but you're open to getting beneficial things from anywhere and that's that's really cool. Growing up, you had a bit of hype around you. You were sponsored from a young age. There was this Kelly hype around you. Everyone knew you'd been around Kelly for a long time, so there was this big hype. You qualified that year, and then once you're on tour, you had a bit of a bad year. Talk me through kind of that expectation and not living up to your own expectation. Oh, that was um, that was a, a, a pretty tough year for me because all my uh, junior career, um, it was a lot of a lot more winning than losing you know of course in surfing there's so many events so many heats so you you lose but i consistently won you know consistently won the juniors i got to the tour and reality caught up to me it's like the tour is hard you got to work for it it's you get there but the work doesn't stop there the work starts the moment you get on the tour and the year i qualified yeah i mean i Probably saw so many interviews saying, oh, I think rookie of the year is going to be Leonardo, blah, 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 this, that. And, you know, I wasn't really, not that I wasn't listening, but I was confident in myself. Um, and I think what happened, and I probably took it too hard on myself, was the first four events, I didn't make a heat. You're there giving it your all, first year on tour, everybody's watching, and you can't make a heat. Um so that was really tough. That was um, the Australian season was super tough, and I'll always always remember that moment that I got back and I felt I felt shitty. I 
felt shitty. I felt, I was like, screw this. But, you know, Brazil was next. So I'm like, okay, Australia's done. Let's go into Brazil. I go over to Brazil and I got there with a negative vibe. Um, I got there with a negative energy. I wasn't, I wasn't happy. I was just thinking like, okay, I've dreamed so much to get on this dream tour, on the world tour. It's always been my dream. And here I am at the fourth event and I'm not even enjoying it. Like, why am I even here? I got into a mood that I've never been in my life. And so Brazil, the waves weren't that good. My boards weren't feeling that great. Um, I remember after the day before the first round, um, I walked home from the beach and I was probably like a 25-minute walk by myself. And I told the boys, no. I told Bailey and the boys, I said, no, I want to walk home. And I walked home and I was almost crying, just like going, why, why am I surfing so shitty? Why... I was definitely being too hard on myself and, um, and you know, I was a young kid getting onto, on the big stage thinking you're this, you know, this, this amazing surfer and all of a sudden you're getting smoked. I'm saying I was too hard on myself because a lot of things didn't go my way and I know a lot of things didn't go my way, but it was also really good for myself, you know, it gave me a, you know, it gave me a good shake up, like work for it. Nothing's going to come, nothing comes easy. Nothing ever comes easy. But, you know, it is what it is, and it was for the good because 2018, I worked so hard for it. I made sure that I became, that I came back as a better surfer, and um, I feel like I am a better surfer today from that for sure. Yeah, it's so cool. I love the part how you said nothing comes easy. It's so, I guess, humbling to hear you say that nothing comes easy. And from somebody who, I guess, like you said, you were lucky growing up, your parents supported you to surf where you wanted, but having that hunger and that sort of appreciation, not expectation is something I say quite a lot. It's something my dad told me as a kid and I try and live by that. We can get so caught up in expecting the world and expecting everything to go our way, but life's tough. (laughs) Life's not easy. And there's so many times that we have moments where we're just like, oh my God, the world is so against me. It sounds like when you were having that first couple of events on tour, you just oh, could not. Against me. Everything was I felt like everything wasn't against me, of course, but I felt like I was in a state of mind that everything was against me. But life is tough and, you know, get, just get back up and go at it. Like, um, and I've learned that probably harder than, than anyone has. I, when I was... um. You know, and when I was 17, I broke my back at Pipe. That put me out for six months. Came back that same year, I won the ISA. Uh, I won the World Championship in the ISA. And, you know, you get back up and, you you know, nothing's going to come easy. Nobody's going to hand it to you. You know, nobody's going to give you a platter of, of anything and just go here, have it. No, that just doesn't, that just doesn't happen. And um, you either learn it the easy way or the hard way. And... Um, I guess, you know, breaking my back, having some really major injuries, uh, back surgery, that was, I guess, learning it the hard way, but um, it definitely made me the, uh, the person I am today. You've had some bad injuries. You just got back on tour. You'd been working so hard, and then in an event at Newcastle, something happened. Give me, give me the rundown. Yeah, you know, back on the world tour, I was so excited. Um, 2018, I really worked on my surfing to make sure I was a better surfer. Made it back on tour, you know, two times. That's like, okay, now I deserve, you know, I felt a lot more confident, a lot more mature. I really, you know, I really knew I deserved my place there. And of course, two weeks before the first event of the year at one of the QSs in Australia in Newcastle, I dislocated my shoulder. Did a backside air in the quarterfinals and my shoulder popped out. 
by the way, one of the worst feelings ever. So painful and so uncomfortable. Worse than my back, yeah. Um, and many people who have done the shoulder can tell you that. Because not only it's painful, it's just uncomfortable. It's like, it's, it's a horrible feeling. And the surgeon told me that I needed surgery. But I chose not to get the surgery because um, I wanted to give it a go. And he said, you have an 80% chance of the shoulder coming back out. You know, I had snapper coming up three weeks after. So I tried to do a lot of physiotherapy. I got to snapper. I definitely wasn't feeling great, but I surfed my heat. So I went to Bali, still wearing the shoulder brace and the tape and everything. I actually got ninth in Bali, which I was stoked on. I beat Gabriel in round three, which that was, uh, that was a really cool feeling. That was like a, uh, a bit of a confidence moment, you know, after that, after the injury. And then I went to Margie's feeling really good. The shoulder was starting to feel better. And the morning before we surfed at the box, I had a bad wipeout and my shoulder came out again. So at that point, you know, at that point, that, it was tough. I, I don't cry very often. And that day I, I had a bit of a cry and I'm not ashamed of it. I mean, if you have to let it out, you have to let it out. And I was just, I was just sad, you know, like I put so much work into it and just why does it have to happen to me? And, and again, you can't, you know, you got to get back up and do it. And so the only thing was go home, get surgery, wait a few months and come back. And so I went home, I got surgery. Um, the best part about that was being home with my family, with my girlfriend. Um, she's from Hawaii, but she spent four or five months in Europe with me, which was incredible. Um, my family was there, my brother, uh, my mother, you know, they were all there by my side. And in those moments, that's what you need. You know, those, those tough moments, you need people that are close to you, that, um, that keep you positive, that keep you in a good state of mind. And, you know, I had a really good routine going to physiotherapy every day. I put so much work into it. I did three to four hours a day of just nonstop legs and shoulder stuff. Um, of course, step by step to whatever I could do after the surgery. And um, it, it was incredible. I mean, it was, it was some, you know, some tough moments and all my family can tell you. But coming back from that uh, has been incredible. And I ended up getting the best result in my career, a third place at, uh, at the Quick Pro in a world tour event. You know, that's, that's a dream come true. And um, again, that happened because... During those hard times, I think my family was there to keep me real positive. And it was just another of those moments that I put my head down, just nothing else. You know, I wasn't worried about anything else except for coming back. And um, again, nothing's ended to you. Just make it happen. Yeah, it's so cool. Obviously, you've had so many, I guess, spanners thrown at you in your life. And it sounds like every time you get something thrown at you, you take some time, you reflect, and then you use it as something to grow from. I mean, even when you're not injured, I like to ask kind of my friends and stuff this because I've been working in the industry a little bit now. Do you have days where you wake up and you're just like off? You just are like not happy There's, and it's not for any reason. Ugh, I don't feel like going surfing or anything. How do you find the motivation on those days? Is it something that's goal-driven or is there you just need to get yourself in that positive mindset? You know what? I think because I've had those injuries, I appreciate surfing so much more. 
you know, the when you have those injuries and you're out for, you know, my back, I was out for six months, my shoulder, three to four months. Because you don't get to surf during those times, you appreciate it so much more that when you get to surf, you're like, let's go out there. You're so, you have so much positive energy. And I feel like that's what's happened in my career because I, because I uh, had a few injuries a few times out of the water. I love surfing. I love getting up and going, going out there. But of course, there's moments that you wake up and you're not feeling very motivated. And um, it is what it is. And if you want to skip a day, that's not a big deal. Um, if it's going to make you feel better, skip a day. If, I always say, if you're not doing what you love, then stop doing it. I mean, I know a lot of people don't have the choice of choosing what they want to do in life. But you always can have a choice. You always can make a change in your life. You can always make that slight change that can make your life so much more positive. It just doesn't come easy. Thanks so much for sharing all that stuff with us. I mean, even if you don't have family, just trying to make sure when you're in those times of, I guess, heartache and times of those real setbacks being thrown at you, being around people who can support you and bring you back up is so important and making sure that you actively put people in place so when you do find those times of hardship which are going to come by for everyone you're ready for them and you can yeah use them as opportunities to bounce back and grow so thanks for being here i like you know what you said you know there's a lot of people that don't have family like i was talking about i have an incredible family but a lot of them don't have that family so um i just want to say to a lot of people don't be afraid to speak out to talk to one of your friends because everybody has friends and don't be afraid to open up. I think opening up, opening up some, most times is the best thing you can do. If you're going through something, letting it out is you know, the best thing you can do. And um, getting an advice from a good friend or um, a long relative or whatever. And when you're in a good mindset, you can achieve whatever you want. And yes, today I'm in a good mindset. And I hope everybody can, uh, can stay in a, in a good mindset throughout life and always stay positive. Because when you're positive, um, good things happen to you. So, um, you know, thanks everyone for listening and uh, enjoy it. Good Humans was presented by me, Cooper Chapman. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.